how many times have you gone to the airport where they have oversold tickets and now the airline is like panicking at the last minute? Yep. I want to give you $2,000 if you take a different flight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not the position you want to be in. Right. So you actually want to have a pretty tight control and visibility on, on what your resources are doing. They are our biggest assets and we should treat them with care, treat the resources with with the value that they actually bring to the organization. Mm -hmm. If you're kind of loose with that, you're not going to get the results. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all having a great summer out there. And you're doing great stuff, uh, both personal and with work. My guest today is Kathan Jahargadar. Kathan actually created a company around project management and created an application, software application, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And Sofian acquired his company last year. Interesting thing about Kathan is he has a lot of expertise in project management. And we're going to talk today about where project management fits in innovation and how you need both to be successful. Kathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. Excited to be uh, be here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. And where are you joining us from? Uh, from Chicago, Paul. It's uh, nice and nice and warm. Perfect <laughs> summer day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think some people would like a perfect summer day. There's so many places that are just way too warm right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, Kathan, uh, just briefly, so people know, what is your role now at uh, at Sophion? Paul, I'm I'm the uh, director for product management for the project products. So, anything related to project management. Excellent. Let's go to your background, Kathan. How did you get involved in project management? Let's do a flashback to about twenty years. Then, good. Back in two thousand, I joined a company called Diamond Cluster and we did IT strategy work. So we typically followed McKinsey, Bain, Booz. We'd follow the business strategy and implement essentially an IT strategy for large enterprises. And then um, our final output would be a roadmap of projects and then companies like Accenture, IBM would follow in and do the implementation work. Mm -hmm. But during that phase, and, and I was an enterprise architect in, in terms of uh, the vertical. The classic role, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yep. Yeah. Or horizontal, I should say, exactly. Yeah. But being being sort of small teams, you know, we had small teams. Uh, we had to play the role of project manager at times. And we also did like strategic implementations for key clients. And that followed by, I worked at a company called Laidlaw, which did school bus outsourcing. We had like 60,000 buses. Uh, and so during that span of 10 years, there's a lot of projects that I managed, programs that I managed, and um, always felt a sort of a gap in useful tools. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Clients would have like uh, the usual combination of uh, MS Project, PowerPoint, Excel that they were trying to cobble together to yeah. serve the PMO, or you had these like massive enterprise class tools, which hard to set up, hard to maintain, and yeah. no one wanted to use them. And so there was this white space and 
once I was done with those two, I kind of decided to take a chance, become an entrepreneur. And that's the white space I went after. That's really, that was the driving factor, Paul. Yeah. And you were a real startup, right? It was just either yourself or you and a couple other people. How did you get started? Once I started on my own, I did PMOs and I set up PMOs for my client. Still consulting oriented. Still consulting. Uh, so I was doing PMOs um, and running projects, large projects for clients. And I sort of one, you know, one day is like, okay, well, I, I, let me take some of these, these uh, retained profits, reinvest it, and and yeah. try and build something. Mm -hmm. uh, I partnered with Russ Fuja, who is also now at Sofion. Uh, I'd worked with him in the past, and we said, okay, let's go build something that can be used by our clients and can be used by enterprises to actually start up, manage PMOs and run the sort of that whole project infrastructure, so to speak. Yeah. Wow. It's a, it's a real startup. In, in the early days, did you have a lot of conflicting needs or was it pretty well, there's a best practice methodology that you saw from the beginning? I think that's where the advantage of having worked as a project manager, program manager for several clients yeah. across several industries really helped Paul because all those battle scars served as our requirements, initial requirements for the product. Gotcha, gotcha. We tried to really sit back and think, you know, across industries, across company sizes. We noticed a few common themes and needs for certain user personas. And that's, that's what we built out. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how long did it take from kind of when you first partnered with Russ, you said, Hey, let's go build something. So you had a, a version that you would call viable. That's that was out. Something you said, somebody could use this. Uh, that's a good question. I'd say, um, about two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, yep. Two and a half years. We were, this was completely bootstrapped, self-funded, uh, and it was just Russ and me. So, but we did, at the end of those, end of that time period, we did have something that was sold and usable by our first client. Great, which was great. Nice. Yeah, and then you, you just went from there, you kept going. Kept yeah. going from that point, yeah. 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 You know, in your experience, when PMOs want to, Maybe they have a, a set of project management tools they're using today and they're looking for something better or they have nothing. When I say nothing, they always have something, right? They have Excel or, or whatever, but they're looking for more, something that's more uh, dedicated, uh, special purpose built uh, application. Um, what advice would you give them when they kind of have to make that transition, either from an existing tool or from an uh, Excel? I, I think the first thing in not just from an advice, but as a practitioner, the first thing we would do is build out the processes, mm -hmm. like lay out your process maps. Yeah. Yeah. However archaic that may sound in today's day of uh, doing everything agile and fast and just, you know, move for something like a PMO, you really need to map out your orchestration, right? Because regardless of what industry you're in, what, space you're trying to manage, Paul, there are a few, few process phases that are sort of consistent. There's an initiation phase where you're trying to get your ideas, get your business case built, figure out what's going to align with your strategy. 
Then you go through your planning phase. You know, you get your plans out. How much money do I have? How much money can I spend? Match those, make sure you have the resources. And then there's execute, monitor, control, and then finally close out. So for each one of these quote unquote project lifecycle phases, I'd say map out your process. Doesn't have to be detailed, but you need to understand how you're engaging with all the different departments inside an organization, right? How are you gonna how are you gonna interact with the C level? How are you going to interact with finance? How are you gonna interact with the organizations that are organizations that are actually delivering your projects? So all those um, handshakes and your internal internal steps need to be mapped out to some level. Right. Okay. And once you do that, you're in a good <clears throat> position to actually go seek out a solution. Gotcha. Gotcha. So don't just jump in. <laughs> yeah. That, don't just exactly. Yeah. Are we talking small PMOs, big PMOs? Kind of. What's a, what's a good target size for, let's say, a PMO that wants to get more rigor in its process? Yeah, it actually depends, Paul. Depends on the on the scale of the organization you're talking about and yeah. the spend you're trying to manage, okay. the number of projects you have, the number of resources that are under your sort of quote unquote management purview. And and then there are two types of PMOs, interestingly. And again, this is a wide generalization, but the two are PMOs that are responsible for delivery, meaning the, the executive leadership is looking to the PMO. You're on the hook to select the right projects. Of course, they would they would approve and, and then deliver. Like okay. the project manager would actually report into the PMO. And, and then the more common one is sort of the matrix PMO is what I would call it, where right. they, they orchestrate the entire process, but the responsibility of the resources are in different departments. Mm -hmm. which makes it really challenging. Yeah, it sure would. You've got delivery organizations, you've got finance, you've got uh, uh, UI, UX, I mean, all, all kinds of resources to work on these products and get them out the door, but none of them report to you. Mm. So yeah. those are the two flavors of the PMO. Yeah. Depending on that, you know, the size and the, the maturity level of the PMO organization changes. If that, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Now I'm thinking about, I've seen PMOs be in the IT department. I've seen at the end, they're called sometimes just, they're even higher level, they're called enterprise PMOs. And then there's R&D. In the R&D department, you'll see PMOs, right? So I always wondered about those different PMOs. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're exactly right. And if you have, that, that raises the complication to a whole different level. Okay. When you've got different PMOs within the same org organization, yeah. now you have to even orchestrate between those or you know between those PMO departments, uh, because let, let's start let's start from the beginning, right? Let's let's think about like 2023. Everything starts like in the August, September, October timeframe. That's when everybody, the senior leadership, is setting the strategy in place for the next fiscal year. The strategic goals are established, revenue, cost, you know, the usual suspects, maybe they need to go into a different market. And now you've got either the business units or PL organizations in charge who are like, okay, what do I need to do to actually meet these goals? And now you're thinking about projects, you're thinking about initiatives, programs. And now you know, the, the three 
PMOs you you mentioned, Paul. Yeah. Interestingly, when when we when you when you used to classify spend in an organization, okay? If you think about a triangle, you've got the, at the base you've got sort of the stained business projects, yeah. if you may. I, I got to do these for compliance. I have to do these for legal reasons. I got to upgrade my servers, whatever, just because to stay in business. Yeah. Then in between, you've got my return on investment projects. That's where you're actually looking at NPV, you're looking at IRR, payback. These are the projects that are going to make an impact on the income statement. Like your, your profitability depends on these projects, your revenue targets, your cost-cutting targets are tied to them. And then you've got the top of the pyramid, the small portion, which is your R&D. Okay. That's my sort of high risk, high reward sort of projects, right? Where you may not you may not tie something specifically in the next fiscal year to that that's portfolio of projects, but that's like a five year horizon. Like mm-hmm. five years from now, if this if this project comes through, then you know I have to set up my manufacturing plants, I have to set up my organization department, all all of that. Is going to emanate from that from that R&D project. So you're right. Some of sometimes those three buckets are managed by three different PMOs. Sometimes you've got, like you said, the enterprise PMO that manages all of that that entire stack. But at the end of the day, what happens inside is usually the same same thing from an from a goal perspective as well mm-hmm. as from a process perspective. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got to make some decisions on projects. You got to find the funds to invest in those projects or products. You have to plan and execute. Make sure you de-risk them by keeping an eye on them and and using tools to keep an eye on data-driven status. And then finally, keep a, once you close it out, you have to actually monitor and make sure that you deliver the benefits you process you promised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's let's talk about innovation. That's something you and I have kicked around quite a bit, right? And and the role of project management in innovation. And specifically, we'll we'll kind of start with, because innovation is such a broad topic, right? But let's think about bringing a product to market, right? So I have a a new idea. Let's say we vetted the idea. It's one we want to go after, and we're going to bring this product. Let's, we're going to create it, figure out the market, create it, bring it out, launch it, all of that, right? Yep. You are going to agree with me. I think you cannot, there is a project there. You can't do it without a project. Agreed wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can debate how you manage that project, but you have a project. Certainly. In fact, you have more than one project, don't you? Most likely, Paul. Again, it depends on the scale and size of what you're undertaking, right? But typically, going back to the early phase of the project where you're sort of uh, brainstorming the idea, you're you're doing your um, market analysis, your demographic research, if it's a consumer product, you do all of that, and maybe you land on something you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm convinced this we have a we have a winner here, right? Everything you do up to that point may or may not be managed as a project, depending on how big of an undertaking you are. Sometimes that can be a pretty huge task too, right? Yeah. If it's a large enough product, you're you're that's at stake. But once you have that idea and and it's been vetted. And now you're you're investing X millions into that idea. From the point that you say go in terms of 
I mean, there's a lot that goes in, like, you know, think of anything, like a, a new toothpaste or a new drink. Everything from the point where you've sort of done your initial proof of concept, scaling it and getting that out to a point where it's making a difference on your income statement, more likely than not, you're going to have a couple of projects on there. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, you've got distinct deliverables. You've got distinct uh, milestones you have to hit. And those are a sequence of tasks that need to get done by a certain time and have associated budgets with it and product launches that don't have those metrics and that sort of monitoring uh, associated with them will get there eventually but may not be at the pace and uh, and the cost metrics that you've set in place so yes for sure set up a manufacturing plant right exactly right and that's that's, that's a, a project. project that's a project yeah and it, you don't want to cloud your maybe you have a core project around uh developing the product, bringing the product to to be a real tangible product, and it needs a manufacturing plan. But, but you know, to put that all together into one project plan, I mean, you've got different people working. It seems to me like it oftentimes might be better to have a second project, right? A different uh, project manager's working on the plant. Another one's working on a project, let's say, to develop the marketing channels. Third one working on a project to develop the product, right? Is that is that accurate? hundred percent, Paul. So yeah. if you think about conceptually, you might even think of your your large project as a program. Program. You've exactly. got you've got a program that's bringing your product to life. You know whether you call it a project or a program is is sort of just semantics. But 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 conceptually, you've got a large project or a program with several sub projects in them, and having a methodology of making sure that those projects are sequenced in the right way. The dependencies between these projects are managed in the right way. Uh, the the sort of control and independence for individual projects to sort of run autonomously within their own space is important. And an ex example of that is if you think about intelligent prod products these days, right? Or or just anything, like whether it's a washing machine, a fridge, uh, uh, a TV. No, nothing is nothing lives without software, right? Right. These days. Exactly. So you might have a traditional project lifecycle for your hardware components, although even they they're sort of going agile, quote unquote agile these days. But more likely than not, your software aspects of your product are going to be managed and delivered in an agile fashion. So the ability for traditional quote unquote waterfall projects and agile projects to coexist inside this larger product program, going from concept to what I'd say, making an impact on your income statement, like it's real and you're making money, is going to have to allow for these types of projects to coexist and collaborate, more importantly. Yeah. Okay, and collaborate. So I've written and spoke a lot about the friction that happens between people working in, let's say the software, the agile world, let me make it simple for a minute. I know, I know a lot of people are thinking about how do I bring agile to the hardware piece, but let's go for a moment that the company that has a regulated product, right? So it has to be developed in a certain way. It has to go through a lot of approvals, right? You've got to manage all the regulatory aspects, right? And if you just, you just got to do that, right? And then you've got the software team in there 
dedicated team running agile, no issues, right? But there's there's a different, there could be a conflict there, right? Yes, I mean, it could be, but I think that's where, again, if you think through your processes ahead of time, you can avoid that. Okay. So let's take let's take an example. Let's say let's say you have a washing machine. Let's assume that you've got some compliance and regulatory laws where you've got to seek some approvals and ISO sign-offs or or what have you. Yeah. And and so you've got you've got the casing, the mechanical casing, you've got the panels, uh, all that is being developed, and you've got software that's being developed in its own cadence. People are are, are developing in agile, whether it's Kanban, Scrum whatever methodology you have, as long as you can orchestrate it in the larger program. And this is this is where the PMO comes in handy because they are providing that, that governance and guidance between these projects to establish our gates and checkpoints in between whatever projects are being done. So I, I, let's say I was in charge of software, Paul, you've got, you've got the hardware piece. You have your own cadence, you're building your things. I've got my releases planned out. Nothing stops us from going and producing our software. We have our integration checkpoints or milestones set up along the way. And you have your pre-plans compliance QA, QC checks in place, right? So how we get there independently within our own projects is up to us. As long as we agree to meet at a certain point, we deliver what we had promised, yeah, it's fine. It, it works out. Yes, there may be some, I might get there earlier, you might get there earlier. Yeah. But that's where keeping an eye on projects, monitoring them, looking at data-driven metrics to make sure you're on time uh, is important. Now, that's great. I wanted to highlight a word you said, orchestrate. I think that's that's a really good word. But you just said something that's really interesting. What do you mean by data-driven metrics? So this is sort of a, this is now we're sort of getting into personal beliefs. So it's I'm, good. I'm, Absolutely. <laughs> that's why you're, you're an expert. want to hear what you think. I, I think there's, there's different ways of monitoring progress on projects. Right? Everyone has their own style, methodology. One methodology that has not failed me is not to get qualitative updates from anybody. I don't believe in that. Data is critical, especially in large companies. I mean, if you think about, you've got hundreds of projects, 150 projects, how do you qualitatively sit there and evaluate all these projects, right? You need some way to level the playing field and nothing levels playing fields like data. (laughs) So, uh, on any any task or deliverable or milestone, it's important to say, okay, what have you what have you spent on it so far, and how much is left? Your estimate to complete, whether that's measured in hours, days, donuts, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, right. Just tell me, t- tell me what have you spent so far and how much is left. Yeah. With those two simple metrics, Paul, you can actually say, okay, it's percent complete is so much. And here's my here's what's left, and here's my projected date based on what you've given me. And the advantage of that is, and, and you know, it's not not an easy thing to do if you're not used to it. However, over time, what we have seen is that organizations get mature and they start to get better at estimation. 
their own estimation skills. And that pays huge dividends in like a year, year and a half, because every time you submit time or you know, if it's story points or whatever, whatever it may be, you have you're forced to think about how much is left in that same unit. Yeah. Every resource tends to get better at providing those metrics. And that's what eventually helps in terms of that's what drives status in it, status, health, cost. It's all based off of those two metrics. Yeah. There's an interesting dimension there is in, in the software world, you know, I ran in a software engineering shop several times. <laughs> Very difficult to get those uh, data-driven metrics. You know, the engineer will always say, I, I did it, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then the world of, as you get closer to release, you could cut scope. Right? You could say, okay, you know what? We're still going to release in September but we're going to take this feature out or we're going to make it less than we thought because we want to hit the date. When you're in the hardware world that's or a regulated world, that's a lot harder, right? Because you you've got the physical designs in place. You can't you can't say I'm not going to use the door on the washing machine. We're going to ship it without the door. You can't do that, right? You could ship it without the IoT complete, right? But you can't ship it without the door. So so some of this MVP thinking and, and, and when you get down to the project side of things, right, it's just, again, just another interesting dimension that makes it difficult to say, what have we done and how much more do we have to do? Because in the software world, you can change easier how much more we have to do than in maybe in the physical world. I agree with you, Paul. And part of that is sort of the cultural nature of organizations. I'm, I'm all for agile uh, development my uh, my only sort of heartburn, little bit of heartburn comes exactly from what you mentioned, because it's an easy out. It is. And personally, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. I think even, it doesn't matter how you get there, whatever mechanism you need to do to deliver, that's fine. However, as an organization, and it comes down from leadership, here's what we committed to. And if you're making incremental checks, don't surprise me at the very end on why why we have to leave the scope out. That's right. And That's so right. we have to do everything we can to avoid that, those surprises where you have to either delay or or leave scope out. But yes, that is an option on software. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I I know of a, of a case where a medical device that was going to go in a hospital and the software people could look at that and say, well, let's just get the core in and we'll update the rest over the air later. And uh, the, the people who are responsible for the product said, are you kidding me? We got to go through three months of, of regulatory approval. You just can't update it over the air, right? So, so different thinking, different methodologies, they need to align. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, you're right. It, the, the context is important. The space you're in is important. Right. Yeah. You might not want to do that with landing gear software. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Who was it that said, I would love to have a plane of, of software engineers. And as we're about to, you know, as they boarded, say, now, if you wrote the software on this plane, would you fly on it today? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Surprisingly, probably no hands went up there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Kate, and I want to ask a, Boy, we'll never have time to explore this one fully, but your thoughts on resources. Ah, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the hardest aspect of the whole it darn is. thing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, especially around software. Right? Let's start with, yeah. with that. Okay. It, it really comes down to 
how well you plan and manage your resource. I know that's that's a very generic and vague statement, but I'm going to dive into it. So fundamentally with software, and again, this is a personal belief. There's two reasons I, I feel that work doesn't get done on time, okay? First one is poorly estimated by the PM or leader or whoever, and or you've got resources who are, there's a mismatch on qualifications, experience, lack of interest, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It all falls under that one bucket. Uh, and, and the second one is, that the organization does not have the data to actually understand how overutilized the resources are. And that is a hard thing to do because it is hard to be disciplined to plan out all your work and to track all your actuals because I mean that that takes time, you know, you have to you have to enter that data in. So if you can integrate that into your time card process and have that feed into your utilization software and have that all integrated in one way so that you're not doing extra work just to feed a particular, you know, feed the resource management module, so to speak. Right, yeah, yeah. Then then you have some chance of actually having a, a, a realistic picture of what is going on in your organization, right? If you don't have, again, it comes back to, if you don't have data-driven metrics on what your people are doing, mm -hmm. it is very hard to plan your work effectively because if 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 I'm only working at 130%, pretty, pretty high chance that something is going to drop. And if things aren't planned that way, right? I mean, how many times have you gone to the airport where they've oversold tickets and now the airline is like, panicking at the last minute. Yeah. I want to give you $2,000 if you take a different flight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not the position you want to be in. Right? So you you actually want to have a pretty tight control and visibility on on your on what your resources are doing. They are our biggest assets and we should treat them with care. Treat the resources with with the value that they actually bring to the organization. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if, if you're kind of loose with that, you're not going to get the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's not easy because if you have software engineers writing code and somebody gets sick for a week, that code's not going to be written, right? It has to be written later, right? So the date moves or the code's not written. There's just no way, you just can't, there's nothing to do. But then you have a lot of other resources, which I'm thinking of maybe a financial analyst who has things that they need to do on a project. And they're on 30 projects, right? And one of two things happens. They get, they get stuck on other projects that are a lot harder than they thought. So they're not giving you the time they said they were going to give you. Or if they get sick, if they get sick, they're probably going to make it up somehow, you know, work a Saturday or something just to get it done, right? So it's different than, than there's different types of resources that can really affect the plan, aren't there? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And like you said, I mean, there's there's resources where you could swap in somebody who's underutilized and pick up the Slack software. I mean, uh, you know, you've opened up five files, you're in there, stuff is half cooked. You bring someone else, they're going to take three weeks to figure out exactly. what you've done anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. you're right. Uh, so there is some nuance to that. Uh, one rule doesn't apply there. But 
have consistently tracking what people are doing, making sure all your planned work is in one system mm -hmm. helps. Yeah, sure. Now go. Let's go back to the three PMOs that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Three PM R and D, IT, and then let's call it the business PMO. Okay. Right? If all these three are managing the resources in an Excel sheet independently. Yeah. And now, now you've got projects that go across. Oh, no, I mean, that's okay. just like, a, you can see that the train's going to go off the track pretty quickly there. It, that is a cr absolutely critical requirement. But is all, having that discipline to do that is where PMOs come in. PMOs need to be empowered by the leadership. The leadership needs to believe in, in sort of having the, the you know, system-enabled governance so that you, you you can enforce that discipline from concept through product realization. Yeah, boy, that's great. And we just came now full circle around in this discussion, which is really cool because I think uh, I think this is a good spot to put a bow on it for today. We could talk for we could talk for a lot more, Keith. And this has been a fun conversation. Likewise, Paul. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I really enjoy this. Uh, let Let's do it again. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Kathan, so what are you working on now that's kind of kind of interesting? I mean, I, you know, I know you've got stuff with Sophion for sure, but just from the discipline of project management, let's just take it from that lens. I think this topic is extremely timely because in Sophion itself, we are integrating the project's product with Accolade, yep, right? The phase and gate the phase gate uh, methodology and giving our clients and prospects the ability to actually do exactly what you said, which is you've got the overall project. Accolade is looking at things from a portfolio perspective, uh, looking at the end-to-end -end project and deliverables and, and gates you know, for, for those uh, key checkpoints. But if you've got individual projects, that require more attention you know a, a factory is a deliverable in our yeah. in the project but you need a thousand line project plan it's going to take six months to do you've got a whole dedicated team to go do that well now you can do that because of the integration between the two products yeah and it's seamless that you know we're building obviously it's never done we keep incrementing on it and and adding additional features and visibility of detailed data back into uh, accolade and so that's my primary focus right, right. now M making sure that gets done in, in the next uh, few months well that would keep anybody busy <laughs> yeah <laughs> good Kathan. well hey thanks for joining us uh, it was really great to talk to you and uh you know i i know because we work together we'll see each other again real soon absolutely but, uh, great have a great week ahead Kathan. thank you thanks for having me paul this was fantastic and you did write a couple of, I think you wrote a, you wrote a blog article that's out there. We'll put some links to maybe some of the publications you've done. If people kind of read, want to read some of the, some of the words you've written around this as well. Absolutely. There's, there's a, there's one on how do you actually effectively write project charters and build business cases and yeah. organizations, right. all the things that you need to think about. That would be a great one to put out there. Yeah. Good. Good. We'll look for that and put that in. All right. Thanks again, Keith, and you take care. You as well. Thanks, Paul. And to all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. You know, this is a really important topic because I'm out there talking to companies. This is real. 
How do we how do we do project management better, different? Where does it relate? When do we need to worry about the details? When can we go at a higher level? Uh, how do we have these distributed teams? So uh, Kathan shared a whole bunch of uh, words and thoughts on that. So that was really great. I wish you, our listeners, a great week ahead. It's been our pleasure to talk to you today. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.